everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, along with Ira Kaufman, and of course, Joe Henderson joining us today. Tim Williams from up in Boston, Massachusetts, and boys, it was an entertaining week, and certainly one uh, where, not that I'm going to break my arm patting people on the back here, but I think pretty much everybody called that this would be the final four. Yeah, do you have to rub it in, Jim? Do you have to rub it in as a whole Chiefs <laughs> fan from here? No, so. no. You you called the you called the uh, Green Bay and you called the uh, the Falcons. Atlanta. So you're doing yeah. you did okay. Uh, I I think Tim would agree with me that uh, the Patriots uh, would would have rather faced the Chiefs than the Steelers. But having said that, Joe, I I can't pick I can't pick Pittsburgh to go into Foxborough. I mean. The, the pet, the Pats didn't even play well, Jim, and they covered a sixteen point spread. I understand they Which, were playing the, the Texans, but still, I mean, what a machine they got going in Foxborough. Well, and I believe one of us said that they would give the points on that. And, one of us that, did. <laughs> Let me see. That might have been Henderson <laughs> Joseph. Yes. Uh, wasn't that hard a call? Um, you know, Brock Osweiler. Uh, game over and but uh no i don't think pittsburgh's going to go in there and win they didn't score a touchdown against your chiefs and um so what are they going to do the patriots the, that's the the really um underrated part about this the this new england team this year everybody talks about brady and all that stuff they've got one heck of a defense and um you know that 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 has really been kind of uh, under the radar for this team this year. I, I think they're going to shut uh, Pittsburgh down, and I think they're going to score, in a, um, you know, like they always do. And I I I will be shocked if Pittsburgh wins that game. You know, that's Jim, Jim, let me let me throw ahead, this out Ira. to Tim. Will, let me throw this out to Tim Williams. Maybe he can answer it. He watches the Pats. Uh, guys, I, I was filling out my. Uh, all pro ballot two weeks mm-hmm. ago for Associated Press. And I got all these guys, you know, the offensive linemen and the tight end and, and, and the kicker and this and that. I got to the end where it said defensive backs. And, and Tim, I, I, and I had Ryan as my quarterback, and I don't apologize for that. Um, I got to the end with defensive back. Joe, I looked back at the ballot. I don't have any Patriots. I got zero. Um, zero Patriots. So I hurriedly wrote in Malcolm Butler, Tim, as one of my corners, and I'm sticking with that. I think the guy's outstanding. Um, and I picked one of the safeties. It could have been McCordy. I think I went with Patrick Chung because, Jim, I, I wanted to get a couple of Patriots on my old pro ballot. So my question for Tim is, other than Brady and with Gronkowski sidelined, uh, Tim, th- this is a team that doesn't have any stars uh, other than Brady. Am I wrong? It it really reminds me of their first championship team, the 2001 team that, if you'll remember, came out for the Super Bowl as a team rather than individual introductions. They were the first team to do that, and they kind of always played that. Football's always been a team sport, but when you really buy into the team concept, you can go a long way, especially when you have Bill Belichick running the show. You know. A former defensive coordinator in his own right. I think Belichick, you know, it's hard to say he's not 
largely responsible for everything in New England, as good as Tom Brady can be. It, it's hard to not put everything on Belichick. And you look at this defense, he finds people. They find talent everywhere. Where we've seen so many NFL teams look specifically for a position and not find it for years, it seems like the Patriots can just get it as easily as hailing a cat. This might be uh, this might be Belichick's greatest job, Jim. I mean, when you really look at that team, nineteen touchdowns from Legarrette Le- Blunt. Are you kidding me, Legarrette Blunt? I thought he was through three years ago. Um, what what a, what a job by Belichick, and you know, and here they are favored to to go to the Super Bowl again, Jim. Let me ask you guys a question in this regard. You know, we've got the Patriots here, and. Um, it doesn't necessarily, and you're just talking about Ludarius Blunt, and it's often we always hear about the stars, but we seldom hear about the scheme. The Patriots seem to be able to come up year in and year out with a scheme that fits the players they have, regardless of who they are. And I don't know that other teams are able to do that. And just your thoughts on the scheme that that Belichick has been able to put together, both on the offensive side of the ball, because they've had injuries there year in and year out, and on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you just hit on something there. Um, one thing that drives me absolutely insane about coaches is when they will say, well, I don't have my players, I don't have the players to run the, the scheme I want to do. Lovey Smith did that here in Tampa. Well, you know, we're going to run uh, the Tampa two, but I don't really have the guys to do it, but we're going to do it anyway. And we don't need that. And we don't need Revis, Joe. We don't need him. You don't fit. No, right? no, absolutely yeah. not. And so uh, that I think is Belichick's greatest trait is that he looks at who he has and says, all right, you know, this is how we're going to do this. It, it's like the old, um, Bum Phillips line on Don Shula. He can take his and beat yours, and he can take yours and beat his. And, you know, that's what Belichick does. You don't win uh, as consistently as, as they have with a system. You, li- you win as consistently as they do by adjusting to the times and the personnel that you have. And he's – right now, uh, call me out on this if I'm wrong, Ira. He is the best in football at it by far. No question. Now, Jim, I'll take it one step further, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I'm curious to see what Tim thinks about this. But, uh, Tim, not only adapting the scheme to the players, uh, but Tim, he, he gets credit because more than any other coach, he changes the game plan from week to week where other coaches are stuck uh, basically with the same philosophy. Uh, Tim, how true is that, depending on the opposition? Uh, he, he will do a 180 uh, on a particular game. Well, I mentioned that this team reminds me of the 2001 team. That's just in their makeup. I've never seen two Patriots teams that really play alike except 2003 and 2004. Under Belichick, they change based on their personnel, just like you said. And it's it's amazing because you look around the NFL – it seems like most head coaches, even the good ones, are extremely stubborn, extremely set in their ways. They'll run one style of football until they 
aren't able to coach anymore with the same strengths and the same flaws that it always has. Meanwhile, Belichick will try something new every other year if it suits his team. If he happens to have a big tight end or two, then he'll base his offense around getting a guy to get in the middle of the field and bruise while Tom Brady just hits him with whatever passes he needs. If they suddenly have a speed guy like Moss, they'll run a vertical offense. If they have a tough defense, they'll blitz all the time. Now that that's less advantageous, they're playing more of a finesse defense. And it's working in that regard, too. And you don't really see a lot of coaches that can change much of anything over the years, much less their entire style of play and to do it so often. It's it's really it's hard to even compare other coaches to Belichick at this point. Let me ask you guys one other question, real quick, um, and that has to do with. And again, I think I've always upcut Joe. I don't know how that works, but it's, I apologize. The question I'm asking, and you can, I'm going to go to Joe first, so he can make his comment and then then talk about this here on the Sunshine Boys podcast with Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and Tim Williams, guys. He's not only adjusts to the players. I don't think I've seen coaches pick up players during the season as much as they do and put them into the system. Well, uh, my my variation on that theme was going to be mm-hmm. we totally uh, haven't even mentioned what happened at the start of the year when the great Tom Brady was out for four games. Mm-hmm. And he brings in Jimmy Garoppolo. And he, they just kept winning. Now, they finally did lose a game when Garoppolo got hurt, and I think they had to put Ira in at quarterback. But uh, the, there are limits. But, uh, you know, he, Belichick, I, I just I picture him as kind of the, um, the scientist, the, the mad scientist in the lab who they come in and say, okay, we don't have Tom Brady. Okay, this is what we're going to do. And <laughs> They put in Jimmy Garoppolo and they go out to Arizona on the opening game and everybody says, oh, they're going to lose there. They can't beat Arizona out in the desert. They beat Arizona. And it just, it's, it's a cyborg. It's a machine. It just, you know, I don't know where he, if there's some factory somewhere where he orders the, the parts to keep the machine running, but he always seems I was going to say he always seems to have what he needs, but I think the better way to put it is he always seems to need what he has. Hey, Jim, while we're waxing poetic uh, on the past, Jim, let's Uh. uh, say for the record that uh, the Steelers are not chopped liver. Uh, Uh -uh. I thought they they beat up my Chiefs all night long. Uh, I, I thought the score was misleading. I thought Pittsburgh whipped them. Uh, in the trenches, badly, and the Chiefs have a pretty good team. That's a 12-win team. Their offensive line is very good, Jim. It's very good. That center is outstanding. Um, Maurice I don't Pouncey know how much... from the University of Florida. Yes, yeah, yes. Pouncey is outstanding. Uh, James Harrison still has some juice, Tim, at the age of 38. And, of course, you know, they've got uh, arguably the best back in football. Uh, in Bell, with all due respect to uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, and I think they got the best receiver in, in football in Brown and uh, a probable Hall of Fame quarterback. So 
Tim, the, uh, you know, and, and Tomlin's going to push all the buttons. You know, we've already seen it in the locker room, uh, you know, about the big bad Patriots and they've got this advantage over us. And, you know, they bring a swagger. They're not going to be scared, Tim. The Steelers don't get scared of people. And I think that's half the battle against New England is, um, you know, you, you, you beat before you get into the stadium. I don't think that's going to be the case, Tim. So give me a scenario where um, Pittsburgh springs an upset. Well, they play like they played against Miami, and they just start scoring early and often. I I really like the Patriots' defense, but I think the best way to beat this Patriots team is to get into a shootout with them and just hope that your offense scores more often than their offense. Uh, you have a healthy Pittsburgh offense for the first time since they've assembled it in the playoffs. That Bell, Brown, and Roethlisberger are all together. They're all ready to go. They're all a hundred percent which is remarkable and if they're on their game they can give anybody a run for their money but they have to at least one of them has to have basically a career day the way the patriots are playing and even then their defense needs to come up with stops i think a lot will be on mike tomlin much the way that i give belichick credit for changing through the years Tomlin is one of the few coaches that doesn't play like he's afraid that he's going to get fired because he coaches for Pittsburgh. So that's not really an option for him. So they'll, they'll pull out all the stops in this game. And if everything goes right, they could, they could really make a game of it. But then you watch their game against Kansas city. And if they can't get into the end zone, they don't have a chance. Well, you ask how can the Steelers win the game? I think their best bet is to hope it comes down to a field goal because they have got the guy, the Chris Boswell, their kicker is in fuego right now. Uh, he's had two games this year uh, where he's had six field goals. He had, and Ira knows one of them happened against his chiefs the other night and it happened against my Bengals earlier in the year. And uh, Boswell got a random quote unquote, uh, NFL drug test after the uh, Bengals game. I wonder what they'll do if he if he uh, has another huge night and leads Pittsburgh uh, past New England with a 55-yard field goal at the gun. Uh, to me, that is that is the weapon that they have against the New England defense. If they can get into just field goal range, this guy's going to kick him through. He's and Ira. Uh, let us not forget, he was taken off the street. They didn't spend a high draft pick for him like some team that we know here in Tampa did for their kicker. M must you remind Buck fans of their travails, Joseph? Uh, I, yeah, must. One more thing, I must. One more thing <laughs> <laughs> about Pittsburgh, and, and, and tell me if you agree. Jim, I've been watching the Patriots a long time, just like all of us with Brady. The only time, Tim, the only time you can beat the guy in the playoffs, is if you put him on his keister. It's the only chance. Um, the Giants did it twice. Baltimore did it, I believe, Tim. I think the game might have been in Foxborough. Um, and they hounded Brady. They hounded him. Um, Houston put a little bit of heat on him, a little bit. And Houston's got a pretty good defense. But, guys, if Pittsburgh can't find a way to manufacture a, a heavy pass rush, uh, he'll carve up that secondary, Jim. It, it, you got you got to put Brady under pressure, otherwise you got no chance. 
You're absolutely right, Ira. That's part of the blueprint for beating the Patriots over the years has been get to Brady to hit Brady and to force the Patriots offense to do things that they didn't plan on doing. Another big key to that, and you saw it in both of the Super Bowls they lost, is you need a playmaker. On the other side of the ball, someone has to make a big play. The two games against the Giants, they pulled off essentially miracle plays to pull off their upsets. When the Indianapolis Colts beat them en route to Tony Dungy's Super Bowl championship, they had a huge drive at the end of the game that won them the game as well as their defense played, and that was the best game the Colts' defense played under Dungy, really. But you have to get to Brady. That's first and foremost. And as well, Joe's right, because if you get into a close game, special teams decide so many close games in the NFL. And we often don't talk about it because we don't like having to talk much about kickers and punters and the kick returners that are great are few and far between. But if it does come down to special teams, as good as Goskowski's been, not so much this year, and Boswell's the best kicker in the AFC right now. So that's advantage Steelers. Yeah, Boswell is 14 for 14 in four career playoff games. Not bad. And not for nothing. You know, Antonio (laughs) Brown uh, is is a dangerous uh, guy returning returning a punt. So you never know. You never know. I think Pittsburgh's going to win. But that's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think they'll win. I think they'll go in. I think they'll drive, you know, I think they'll drive uh, Brady crazy. And I think that if, you know, if they've got the health on the offensive side, I think that uh, Le'Veon Bell is going to punish the defensive line. And I don't think the Patriots have played anybody. I mean, they've been in the, one of the weakest divisions in football. So I don't know. That's just me acting crazy. But we'll get to that part in a minute. Um, a little later, actually, not in a minute. But right now, there's a game going on in the Georgia Dome, which I guess they're going to blow up because in Atlanta, if you own a stadium for more than seven years, they have to blow them up. So so the last game in the Georgia Dome, and I guess they're going to play two years in the new building, and then they'll blow that one up too. But the last game in the Georgia Dome happens with the Green Bay Packers and Ira you called it all the way, my friend, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, guys, I, I say this w- without uh, any hesitation, gentlemen. This, this will not be a 16-13 contest. This will not be. Uh, the over-under, I believe, is 60, something like that. It's an extraordinarily high number. And uh, when you got Rodgers and Ryan, why not? Joe, the Falcons have the best offense in the NFL, number one. They are rarely held under 30 points. Rodgers is at the peak of his game. Joe, and if you listen to Jason Garrett, his face belongs on uh, the NFL's Mount Rushmore of, of quarterbacks. I don't know if I'm going there top three. That, that's another topic of discussion, gentlemen. But this game is very highly anticipated. Uh, maybe whoever's got the ball last, Joe, ends up winning this game. But uh, a lot of pressure uh, on the defensive backs in this game. Very, very difficult to hold these offenses down. Well, the, the 
Aaron Rodgers is just ridiculous right now. The, the, the pass that he made to set up uh, the game-winning field goal uh, was – you can't make – who can make that pass? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Tom Brady could have made that pass scrambling uh, to the opposite side of his throwing arm the way that, that Rodgers did. Um, it was whatever, kind of a Hail Martha as opposed to a Hail Mary, right? Because you didn't yeah, need the whole field. Yeah. yeah. But here's, here's the thing that people, again, you know, nobody's really talked about it. Uh, Rodgers goes out and does all that with his best receiver standing on the sideline with broken ribs. And they go into the house that Jerry built and, you know, the Cowboys did not play a bad football game. The Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott played like, you know, 10 year vets and they just got beat by one of the, the, a handful of great playoff performances you will ever see. And he did it without his best receiver and they did it on the road. So I know the Falcons are favored. I know Ira's in love with the Falcons. But um, somebody's going to beat these guys, the Packers, and I don't really see it happening in this game. I, I think Green Bay goes in and uh, blows up the Georgia Dome themselves. You know, the Packers are the kind of team that you have to really beat them. You can't leave it down to Aaron Rodgers having one more possession because if he has one more possession, he's going to score somehow on that possession. He – I, I don't know what his completion percentage on Hail Marys is, but it's about as high as anyone's will ever be. Then he throws the pass that he threw to win the Packers the game, to set up Mason Crosby's game-winning field goal. This is a guy that you can't just beat him in a close game. If he has yeah. one more shot, he will come back, and he will he will find a way to – extend the game but the way Atlanta's offense plays that might not be a problem for Rodgers to be able to pull that last second magic again he has to be within a score at the last second and I think Atlanta's goal in this game is making sure that doesn't happen and no one's more qualified to do it it's going to take a great day from Don, uh, Dom Capers it's going to take a great day from Clay Matthews and the Packers defense is going to have to play like it really hasn't since 2010. You know, uh, Jim, I want to mention one more thing uh, uh-huh. to the guys um, that struck me about the uh, Cowboys-Packers game. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy, when Green Bay was 4-6, and six, he was getting slapped around, as was Aaron Rodgers. Right. Um, when you look back at McCarthy's resume, guys, it, it's pretty darn good. And look at the way he coached in that game, guys. Um, the 56-yard field goal, if they miss it, they're probably going to lose that game. Dallas will get the ball in midfield with enough time to, to, in a tie game to set up the, the winning field goal. He had faith. The third and 20 pass, he could have ran the ball and settled, let's go into overtime and start from scratch. Of course, he's got Aaron Rodgers to make that throw. But third and 20, guys, uh, the odds are against you. You know, that that's a... That's a 15, 20% chance of converting. He played to win, Jim. Mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy played that game to win, and that's not going to change on Sunday in the Georgia Dome. Here's, here's the thing, Ira, which just 
of, of course it seems ridiculous now, but there it was a thing in the middle uh, of the of November, as late as that, after they were blown out by the Tennessee Titans, people were ready to fire Mike McCarthy. They had him heading for the exits, and I don't know if that game was cathartic, if it was, you know, one of the maybe. Uh, people, when the when the Packers get to the Super Bowl, people can go in and dissect what happened after that game uh, to turn the Packers around. But this guy was on—I uh, wouldn't even say he was on the hot seat. He was—he was under the broiler at that point, and people just assumed they were already talking, you know, possible successors for him and who, you know, need to hear a new voice in Green Bay and all that junk that people talk about. And boom, here they are, and they're going to win. They're going to the Super Bowl. I'm saying it without equivocation. They are going to beat the Falcons, and they are going to the Super Bowl. Well, period. Atlanta Atlanta has a bit of a problem in that Julio Jones has what, in essence, is a, a you know, it's they call it a sprained toe, turf toe, whatever you right. want to call it. That that kind of um, you know, if that slows him down some. That's going to be a problem. But my question to to the panel here is, this is, I don't want to say it's the last chance, but I would say we're ticking off opportunities for Matt Ryan to make it to a Super Bowl. And, you know, as good as he has been during season after season, uh, he falls in that kind of Joe Flacco category where Flacco was good enough to get the Ravens to the next level, but until he got it, until he made it to a Super Bowl, he wasn't considered an elite quarterback. Is it? It's obviously unfair to say, well, geez, just because Matt Ryan didn't hasn't gone to a Super Bowl, he's not a good quarterback. But that's usually what happens when you start looking at a quarterback's history once they step out of, you know. Uh, once they retire, did they make it to the Super Bowl? Well, no, he was one of the best quarterbacks never to make it to the Super Bowl. Is that yeah. what we're looking at with Matt Ryan this week? If he can't get the Falcons to the Super Bowl, is that going to be something he's going to have to live with? That's an interesting scenario, Jim. And I'll, 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 I'll address it from this perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as a Hall of Fame voter, Joe, right. um, I don't like it. I think it's a turnoff when somebody's talking about a linebacker or something like that, mm-hmm. and they say he never got to a Super Bowl or he never won. That. I think that's stupid. That's stupid. Uh, that's ridiculous. So, but you know what, Jim? The equation changes mm-hmm. when you're talking about a head coach, of course, right. and a quarterback because of the control they exert over games. And, mm-hmm. you know, why would anybody consider Eli Manning for the Hall of Fame, which he will be considered? Mm-hmm. If he didn't win those two Super Bowls, we're not even right. talking about Eli Manning. Which you know he's in the he's in the Phil Sims category. Phil right. Sims can't get in the room, um, even though he won one. Um, right. But Tim, I I think that's a fair point with Ryan. Um, he resurrected his career because they were down on him after last season. Not a very good 2015 season for for Ryan. Um, and here with Kyle Shanahan, Joe, who we haven't mentioned, this will be Shanahan's final game. Uh, as an assistant coach for the Falcons, he's done a fantastic job with that offense. And Tim makes a good point. Uh, you know, maybe Rodgers isn't within a, uh, a touchdown at the end of the game. Maybe Atlanta puts up, uh, you know, 45 
because they make you defend the whole field, and you can't just uh, you know focus on Julio Jones. They had ten different guys catch two touchdown passes or more. That that's never happened before. Tim, they spread the field. They are going to put a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pressure on, on that Green Bay defense, Tim, which is not an extraordinary defense by any means. No, it, it's you know, not. Uh, this, I agree with you, Ira, about Ryan. I. Uh, on, on this one point that um, quarterbacks are different when it comes to how we judge them. And we judge, you know, Terry Bradshaw because he's got four rings and, and, you know, Montana, that, that is the separator that we use for that. Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman. That's right. That's right. Uh, having said that, I still don't think it's fair. And here's why. Um, football, is the ultimate team game. If, if you've got one weak link on the field, the opposing team is going to find it. And a lot of times what happens to a quarterback, particularly in, you know, in, the, in these spectacles, uh, is, is out of his control. Would we say, for example, are we going to hold uh, Sunday's loss against Dak Prescott? Well, he didn't win the playoff game. Are we going to hold that against them? They scored 31 points. Yep. You know, and yep. you know, I people people will. Well, he didn't win a playoff game. Well, okay, but I thought he played a heck of a game. And and so I, I the one game that that I would or a year I guess I would hold against the Falcons was uh, where they had the best team in the NFC and. Uh, with Mike Smith failed to to get get to the Super Bowl, um, you know, when they had the game there at home. And other than that, uh, I think Matt Ryan's been a, a a top five quarterback in the league for the most part. And I expect him to play very well Sunday, uh, but I expect Aaron Rodgers to play better. I, I tend to agree with Joe when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks on their record. That just seems wrong to me. There's nothing more team-oriented in sports that I can think of than the passing game in football. To complete a pass, you need people to block for you. You need someone to get open, and you need someone to catch the ball. Even if you hit them in the hands, how many people do we see in the NFL just drop that one that hits them in the hands because they're looking up or they're trying to – get themselves on the Jumbotron and later on television. It's not always up to the quarterback. They have the most control of any single player on the game. That's certainly true. But I look at, well, I, I write about baseball. I follow baseball. I've been a lifelong baseball fan. And pitching record, the wins and losses attributed to a pitcher, are getting taken less and less seriously by the year because people are waking up to that's kind of a weird way to evaluate a player in a team sport. And certainly that's not as much of a team sport as football. So it's weird that we evaluate quarterbacks on their record. I understand it in some respects that there are some times when it just seems like a guy can't get it done in a big situation. But that's not Matt Ryan. I don't really think I would put any of the Falcons' big playoff losses on Matt Ryan or any of their late-season struggles that they had toward the end of the Mike Smith era. That 
They uh, they scored plenty of points in those games, Tim. They scored. Yeah. They scored. Yeah. You, can't, you can't put all these losses on a quarterback, and I understand the the want to do that, especially when we have Brady, Rodgers, Drew Brees when he was in his prime was about as good as almost anybody. We are not that far removed from when Brett Favre got all the credit in the world for everything that happened on football fields, including ones he didn't play on. It's we're we're used to quarterbacks getting a lot of the glory because right now we're in an era where we've just seen and where we continue to see some of the greatest quarterbacks that ever played the game. Peyton Manning's only been recently retired. So of, it, that's what we want to do, but that's not football. It's never been football. And I think we're going to get away from that pretty quickly eventually. It's, Jim, remember when, uh, remember when people said John Elway needed to win one to validate his career? Remember that, Jim? And uh, he ended up winning those back-to-back before he quit. I think we probably look at Elway a little different if the Broncos don't, uh, don't get those Super Bowl victories. Fair or not? I would say that that is fair, Ira. Um, the, and I'll give you another example of a guy who was an outstanding quarterback for a long time who gets no consideration, no love. And you know who I'm going to tell you. It's Kenny Anderson uh, of the Bengals. Nice, nice. And, you know, why? He didn't win a Super Bowl, you know. And uh, he also played in the shadow of uh, – you know, uh, Terry Bradshaw and the Steelers for most of his career. So, that's you right. know, that's, it, right. that's just kind of how it works. Now, uh, Jim, there are exceptions, you know, like Dan Marino. You know, if, if you're that extraordinary, Jim, uh, you can't be judged on, on Super Bowl wins. And, uh, you know, Marino was the first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no discussion about Dan Marino. So it's not a hard and fast rule, Jim, but it does tend to color the way we, we look at quarterbacks in general. I'm not sure Jim's there. Yep. I think we've lost him. All right. I, I, I think I would agree with your, your point on quarterbacks. That might not be the best way to evaluate them, but that is how we evaluate them right now. That is how things tend to go down. You know, having a mute button is a good thing sometimes, and it's a bad thing sometimes. And when you forget that it's on and you're talking, and then you hear somebody say, I wonder what if Jim happened to him. Um <laughs> Some of my best work has been done with a mute button on. Um, what I was going to say when I interrupted myself by not actually being on was uh, that since 2003 in the, in the AFC, there's only been four quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Brady in 2003, Brady in 2004, Roethlisberger in 2005, Manning in 2006, Brady in 2007, Roethlisberger in 2008, Manning in 2009, Roethlisberger in 2010, Brady in 2011, Flacco in 2012, 2013 Manning, 2014 Brady, 2015 Manning, 2016 it'll be Brady or Roethlisberger. Wow. Wow. Uh, Absolute domination. Uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, and no reason to think it's going to change, Tim, uh, in the next couple of years because Brady's not going anywhere. Roethlisberger uh, looks like he's in his prime somehow. Uh, now Manning's gone, and, and Flacco's still around. So, you know, 
Joe, unless Brock Osweiler wants to crack that group, I don't think it's going to change. No, I, uh, <laughs> that, that's an easy call. That's an easy call. NFL parody uh, strikes again. Yeah. Jim, I want to throw this out to uh, the Gus panel here. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, don't, I don't have a problem with it. I want to say it up front. But, you know, here I am watching the Chiefs game, and they're playing lousy the whole night, but they're hanging around because Pittsburgh can't, can't get in the end zone. And uh, they score a touchdown, and then I'm watching, and, and Alex Smith throws the two-point conversion. Guy standing there by himself. Mm-hmm. And then I hear there's a flag on the field. And I watched the replay about nine times. Yes, gentlemen. Yes, it was holding. Uh, but my question to the panel is, uh, do you make any allowances for the what's going on on the field and the importance of that play, or do you call it like you do in the first quarter? Well, I don't think you you keep your flag in your pocket if it's an obvious hold like that was. I mean, no, you, you, a penalty is a penalty. And now if it's a 50, 50 call and eh, you're not really sure and all that. Okay. Let it go. But you know, if, if, what would you, what would you do if a guy won, uh, caught the game winning touchdown pass in the Super Bowl, and we, everybody on the jumbotron and across America could see that he was guilty of offensive pass interference. He shoved the cornerback down. Would you, would you pull your flag out at that point? You'd have to. They're the rules are the rules. Um, I, don't, I don't think you make exceptions just because it happened to occur uh, at a big moment in the game. You guys remember people... Ben Drive? Yeah. Yes. Okay. yes. I sat down one day with Ben. I was asking him about, you know, critical calls, critical situations. And he told me that he never wanted to affect the outcome of a game. However, he said that, you know, on a 50-50 call, he would later, late in the game, he would, he would probably not pull his flag. But he said, there's no way that if I see something and it happens, whether it's in the first quarter or the fourth quarter, if it happens in front of me and it's it's a penalty, it's going to be a penalty. I don't care if there's one second left on the clock, or I don't care if one second just has come off the clock. So, uh, you know, I, that's how Ben Drive did it. I assume that's how most of the officials who are in the league are are trained to do it. Um, I guess it's a little different when we look at basketball and other things because there are certain situations where it nuanced away. But I don't. I think Ira that that uh, most of these officials are going to make a call regardless of when it happens. Did you guys think that that play was blatant? Evidently, Joe did. I <laughs> yeah. did, sure. <laughs> and would yeah, yeah. I thought it was absolutely blatant. And okay. you know, I know the Chiefs fans. We're, we're screaming foul and all that. I, I understand that. That's why they're fans, but that's why, you know, officials have to be neutral and call it as they see it. And uh, he made the right call. The problem probably is, Tim, that you could you could call holding on, on every passing snap. Sure. On every snap. Yeah, they always say that. It, it's If that's the case, that certainly makes it a very difficult proposition. It makes me wonder 
why refs call holding when they do and when why they don't call holding when they don't if that's true uh, i'm sure i'm sure that's also as much talk as it is truth but it, it's always made me wonder all right so why don't they call holding on every play what makes them decide they're going to keep it in their pocket this time because the games are already four hours long yes Jim, this, this, you mentioned basketball, Jim, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that go um, uh, so, so uh, casually because, uh, Joe, that, that is a big topic in the NBA, in the playoffs, you know, with, with, with 12 seconds left uh, with a one-point game. Uh, sometimes officials do swallow their whistle, Joe. We've seen it. Um, something that uh, Joe and I thought was an obvious foul, and, and you get no call, uh, but in the first quarter, you're getting a whistle. Joe, that happens all the time in the NBA. Um, it goes to how tough it is to officiate some of these sports. Well, I mean, how about the game-winning touchdown in the national championship college football game right here in, in Tampa, uh, the pick play? It was a pick. It's, you know, the, the, no question about it. Uh, I, I and, prefer to call it rub play, personally, but that's okay. You want to call yeah, it rub. right. That's because your uh, mind is, is on barbecue over there. Right, the there you go. There you go. But, uh, I mean, it was. And I, far be it for me to ever feel sympathetic for Nick Saban, but golly, he had a point. It was a pick, but yeah, they but Joe, didn't call it. Joe, and and nine, yeah. nine times out of ten, they're not going to call it. Joe, it's like baseball, all right? If that call doesn't happen in the first quarter, okay, it's like a, in baseball, if you see in the umpire – is not calling the outside part of the plate for whatever reason. Okay, mm-hmm. you're gonna do it, and and you're gonna call, you're gonna call that play, and you're gonna do that play until the official calls it a penalty. If they don't call it, then play it all night long. It, it would have taken um, uh, something extraordinary for that to be called in that spot, uh, because officials are human, and they've They've got the adrenaline going just like the fans do and the, and the players do, and everybody gets caught up in the moment. It happened fast. You know, I admit I'm sitting there you know, watching the replay going, Dad, gum, that was a pick. But um, he's not going to make that call in that spot. That said, it was a pick. Hey, uh, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, all NFL teams use that play, but uh... – I don't know any. I don't know any team that uses it more effectively than New England. Um, am I wrong with uh, with Edelman or Amendola with uh, you know that that classic uh, rub play? Uh, the the Pats are very good at it, uh, Tim. Yeah, they they figured that one out, and certainly both to their credit and to everyone else's kind of delight because there needs to be something for everyone to hang their hat on when the Patriots win. We wonder why the rest of our teams can't be anywhere close to the same level. They will find everything they can possibly get away with in the context of a football game, and they'll do it. And they're not unique in doing that, not currently and not historically. Certainly John Madden, made quite a few great calls as a coach in his career. And a lot of those calls were controversial. So Belichick isn't the first guy to figure out that you can toe the line of what's allowed and what's not allowed. 
but he's about as good at it as anybody has ever been. And that's part of football for, for good and for ill. It's part of football. Seems to me like part of his coaching staff is Rick Mahorn and Bill Lambeer. Because <laughs> they're, they're definitely getting the picks off of that, that situation. But uh, anyway, uh, all right, boys, tell you what. We, uh, we're getting close on time here, so a couple of quick things. Let's do uh, a quick um, what's going to happen this weekend. Then we'll, we'll switch over and talk a little bit of baseball because that's going to happen this week as well with the Hall of Fame voting. So real quick, uh, we'll start with Mr. Henderson. Uh, I think you've already said it, but uh, in the AFC, you've got the Patriots over the Steelers. And you can tell me what your thoughts on the Patriots, Steelers, and then Falcons, Green Bay. I think you've already picked them, but just sum it up for yeah. those of you who just well yeah. catching it. All right. I think uh, to go into New England in this situation and beat the Patriots is not going to happen. I don't think that Pittsburgh will be able to stop New England when they have to. I think it's going to be close. And with the, uh, I will give the edge to the Steelers in special teams. But at the end of the day, uh, you've got to go with uh, New England in that one. And my thought on the Falcons game, uh, the reason I'm picking uh, Green Bay in that one is just uh, you you go broke. If you're if you're betting man, at least I've heard this. I don't actually do that myself. But uh, yeah, Danny Sheridan on the show here. Go ahead. Yeah, you go broke uh, betting against the hot hand, and no hand is hotter right now than Aaron Rodgers. So uh, I think it's going to be two great games. But uh, I will take the Patriots and the Packers, and that will set up one heck of a Super Bowl. Yeah, Ira, you're up. This is killing me, James. It's killing me to agree with Henderson. It's killing me. But uh, I don't think, Tim, I don't think Pittsburgh can muster enough pass rush um, in, in their various combinations uh, to put uh, Brady down or, or pressure him into mistakes. Uh, their best pass rush is 38 years old. Uh, Belichick will have an answer for Mr. Harrison. Um, and while Pittsburgh will get, uh, you know, it, 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 it's 20. Uh, you know, 24 points. Uh, I think you got to score in the 30s to beat Brady in, in Foxborough. So uh, I will go with New England. And I'm with Joe on, you know, I, I picked Green Bay before the playoffs uh, um, started to represent the NFC. Um, they picked a tough road to hoe going to Dallas and Atlanta back-to-back. But as good as Atlanta's offense is, I, I think their defense is going to be exploited uh, in a noisy Georgia Dome. Last game for Kyle Shanahan, last game in the Georgia Dome. Uh, the man left standing will, will be Aaron Rodgers. Tim, what you got? I I wish I could go different from, than the rest of the panel just for the sake of going different, but I really can't find a reason to. I think Green Bay is going to win the NFC Championship. It's Kind of a shame. It would have been nice to see Warwick Dunn finally get to a Super Bowl in some regard, one way or another. But 
I, I think that Aaron Rodgers is the hot hand. I think that Green Bay is playing as a team as well as anybody right now. And in a practical standpoint, I think they're the team that's going to give the Patriots a run for their money because I don't think the Patriots are going to have much problem with the Steelers. I'd, I'd like to see a close game. As much as I don't want my neighbors to hear, I'd like to see a close game. But I just don't I, – I, I can't imagine it's going to happen, not with the way Pittsburgh played against Kansas City. If, again, if they can't get in the end zone, you're not going to be able to run with New England, even if you can get to Tom Brady. He'll find a way to get a few touchdowns in there. So if they're not playing their best game offensively, they don't have much of a chance. And I would pick the New England Patriots in that one. Again, sorry to keep the keep everything so uniform, but well, I Jim, I will Jim, go. That's why you're here, Jim, to keep that's, us honest. Jim. I'm I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take the Packers. I think that's that um, that's going to be that's going to be a close game, but a fun game. I picked the Steelers thirty twenty eight over the Patriots ten field goals. So. <laughs> You guys laugh. So you, guys, you, wait, you wait till next week, and we're talking about the ten field goal game that the Steelers beat the um, beat the Patriots on. But um, anyway, all right, <laughs> onward. Um, Joseph, you have amongst the four of us the ability to vote for the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and tomorrow that will happen. In the the uh, they will announce or or you will actually physically vote. How does it, what's the deal on that? Well, I I sent my vote in a month ago. Uh, okay, so they so will explain they how will, that works to it. all of us. Well, um, in my particular case, and and with a lot of my uh, sports brethren, it uh, you have to have been a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America for at least ten consecutive years. Um, and then after that, um, you are grandfathered in for uh, uh, once you, even if you stop covering baseball um, on a day-to-day basis as either a beat writer or a columnist, you are still able to maintain your ballot. Um, it used to be indefinitely. Now I think there's a, a time limit on it, um, and I am in that category. Um, but I did. Uh, you you get a a ballot in the mail. Um, it's certified. Um, you have to, uh, you're given a list of everybody who's eligible. Of course, um, players who've been uh, out of baseball for five years and um, then they stay on the ballot for, I think now it's up to 15 years. Um, and they, you're allowed to vote for as many as 10, no more than 10. Um, you can vote for none if you want to, and uh, so it's. I know the the a lot of writers don't like the criticism they get because fans are very partisan and they're gonna. If you didn't vote for the guy they think you should, then you're an idiot. But I can promise anybody who's listening uh, this: uh, just as Ira takes his responsibility as an NFL Hall of Fame voter very seriously. Uh, Baseball writers take this um, with with great gravity. I know I do, and and I've I've talked to a number of my friends who voted. It's it's not easy 
because you you realize how important it is and so you you make your votes and you stand by them and uh, then we'll see how it goes tomorrow when they on wednesday when they announce all right so who uh, we got bagwell reigns trevor hoffman are probably you know likely to be in yes no uh bagwell yes reigns yes uh trevor hoffman i think so um i i would i i could see that one of the 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 controversial ones is uh, Kurt Schilling, and with um, I think he's got Hall of Fame numbers, mm-hmm. um, but very controversial guy. And you know, especially with a lot of the statements that he made that got him fired, you know, from the network. And you know, I voted for him last year, did not vote for him this year, and I got a, a request from a writer at ESPN to explain myself and not in a hostile way, just why did you vote for him last year and not this year? Was it his statements uh, that turned me off? And the answer is unequivocal. No, I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Um, The reason I didn't vote for him this year is there are every year on the ballot, there are guys who I think are automatic and I vote for them. And then there's a group that, and I put Schilling in that class, that is probably Hall of Fame worthy, maybe, but just not automatic. And I shuffle through that deck and, you know, rank the people in the order I think they should be ranked behind the automatic guys. And he made the cut last year. He didn't this year. That doesn't mean he won't make it next year. It's just how I do it. Ira, Tim, um also on the list, obviously, Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez, Vlad Guerrero, and Manny Ramirez, uh, you know, some of those big names on there. We've got um, Roger Clemens, and we got um, – I'm missing somebody, boys. Pick me up here. Barry Bonds. Thank you, Barry Bonds. Okay. Uh, two guys who you might think eventually would get in. Um, thoughts, Ira? All right, there's, there's a guy you haven't mentioned, and, and I want to get uh, uh, Joe's impression on this, but Edgar, Edgar Martinez. Now, he played DH primarily, and, and that's understood. Uh, and that ha- seems to have a stigma when it comes to going into the Hall of Fame. But uh, all of us are old enough to remember Ed, Edgar Martinez in his prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a sensational hitter. Sensational. Um, He hit for average, he hit for power, he drove in runs, he had extra base hits, he was not a singles hitter. Um, Tim, if I'm voting when David Ortiz comes up, I'm I'm voting for David Ortiz. I'm I'm not even thinking about it. Now, maybe Martinez is not in the Ortiz class, but when it comes to Ortiz, I'm not thinking that he's a DH and I'm holding that against David Ortiz. So, Joe, what what do you think the thinking is with, with with designated hitters and, and the Hall of Fame? That's a great question. I did vote for Edgar Martinez. Um, I, I kind of feel like if a guy defines the position, that's good enough for me. And he defined the DH uh, in his day. Now, the argument used to be, well, they're part-time players and they shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Well, uh, a pitcher is a part-time player, plays once every five days. Uh, a closer um, is a guy that comes in and plays one inning. Um, 
on days where you're winning. A DH is in there every day. Now, he doesn't take a turn in the field usually, but uh, a DH is going to be taking four swings a day and has the ability to impact the game on a, you know, a great level. So to me, the whole argument, DH, no DH, get over it. DH is part of baseball. And Edgar Martinez uh, defined the position. So to me, no-brainer, Hall of Fame. I, I can't help but agree. And I'll actually go a step further and say that even even though I loved watching David Ortiz play all those years and saw it every day for a long time, I'd still say Edgar Martinez was the best person ever, the best DH that we've ever seen yet in terms of being an all-around hitter. Now, he doesn't have the October moments, but I both of those guys, even though they played the same position, and their Hall of Fame case will probably come down to that position. I think their real their body of work is extremely different from each other. I think that's it, it's remarkable that Martinez was really an all around hitter, and it was in an age of power hitters for you know some for reasons that we have now seen explained in all too much detail. But it was an age of power hitters. He played on a team that was defined by a power hitter at the time, and he would get on base any way he could. And that's, I, I agree that I think Edgar Martinez is a Hall of Famer. And I think the question I would like to pose to the person who filed a ballot is where do you stand on Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and the other people who have been tarnished with the? PED label, and that's certainly the big controversial topic with Hall of Fame voters. So, where do you fall on that? I thought you'd never ask. Um, I voted and have for the last few years for Barry Bonds and Roger Clements. Uh, I voted for Piazza and Pedro Rodriguez. I've, I've, I've gotten. I wouldn't say I've gotten over it, but I've come to grips with it. And here's, here's how I. I, I finally figured out a way, I think, to um, make it kind of level the, the playing field. Uh, because people always say, well, you know, Bond's uh, numbers were inflated by uh, PED use. Almost certainly true. No question about it. Roger Clemens, you know, he's like, you know, 78 years old and he's out there still throwing 98 miles an hour. Something's going on. So, what I did was I went through each one of them and, you know, I had a, a I would find where the spikes, uh, and it was really noticeable for Barry Bonds, the spikes in his production. Uh, there was, uh, or even more so for Mark McGuire. Now there was a four year spike for McGuire where he went from like a 30 Homer guy to a 60, 65 <laughs> Homer guy. Boom, overnight. And it's like, okay. So what I did was I, I took those years and gave him the average of his other 12 years in his career where we could assume he probably was playing clean. When, his, when that came out, his totals, believe it or not, dropped uh, to about the 440 homer level. And by contrast, Fred McGriff has 493 home runs, and nobody ever suspected Fred of PED use. All, all you had to do was take one look at him and go, no, he wasn't using. So why does Fred 
get marked down because he didn't pass the mythical 500 barrier. But but then, you know, people wanted to celebrate McGuire at the time. So that is, I did the same thing with Sosa and all of those guys and kind of arrived at it. it it's imperfect, but it's the best I could come up with as a way to judge players against their peers. And so to me, Bonds and Clemens were Hall of Famers before uh, the suspected PED use came along. And the fact that they just piled on uh, other numbers on top of that is uh, they'll have to live with how they did that. But, uh, you know, that's that's why I finally just said, look, I, I can't possibly uh, know who everyone who did and didn't. So I'm going to take the guys I suspected and see if I can even it out a little bit. And that's what I did. Hey, Ira. You're a Giants fan. What about Mr. Bonds? Well, I'm kind of with Joe on this one because, guys, I, I, I thought Bonds was a Hall of Fame player before any time that anybody, the earliest time anybody thinks he used. Um, and I think kind of the same way about Clemens. Um, they didn't have to do it. That's the tragedy of the whole thing. They didn't have to do it. Uh, but Bond saw McGuire going into the stratosphere, and and, and it got to his ego. Um, Bonds was sensational without any help. He was sensational. Um, I think some somewhere on the plaque or somewhere in Cooperstown, uh, you got to say what went on. You, you got to tell the young fans that come in what was going on. But I don't know. I, I think they're Hall of Famers, Clemens and Bonds. I make an exception for those two. Everybody else has to stand on their own merits. But those two in particular, Tim, uh, I, I think you're talking about leaving out two of the best of all time at, at their position. I, I agree, and I wouldn't leave any of these guys out. I, I honestly just don't really care. I, I, don't, I know what they did. I understand that it was – ethically not a thing they should have been doing. I understand that it makes that era very hard to look at in a historical context. But I also understand that every era is hard to look at in a historical context. Can we really compare Babe Ruth's numbers to anyone playing today when he played in a league that doesn't exist anymore for all intents and purposes? Can we compare the numbers to all these guys that played before you could even train in the off season, before that was a thing that anyone thought to do? Do we discount people who played since the 1980s where, well, you do hit the gym in the off season. You, you're in, you know, players are in better shape. They're not smoking in the dugouts anymore. There's and all sorts of other things have changed about the league. The money's bigger. The everything's bigger now. And there's more travel. There's a bigger talent pool. So you play against more borderline players as well as more really good players. So I I don't mind the difficulty in comparing eras. I also look and I notice we have this thing called the NFL where if you take the same stuff that gets you to be a pariah from baseball you get suspended for four weeks and you come back like you were injured. So I, I don't know if people have really made up their minds in general about PEDs yet. They certainly have in baseball. And I'd also say the court of public opinion does a pretty good job of punishing 
that wrongdoing. I think just the fact that these guys were booed often at home toward the end of their careers in a lot of cases is almost enough. And I don't know if I would necessarily discount Manny Ramirez's career, or Sammy Sosa's career. I, I think if I had a vote, I might consider both of those guys because, you know, this stuff happened. But the players that did it, there were 104 players that did it. There aren't 104 players that were considering for the Hall of Fame. Well, I did vote for Manny. Um, I did not vote for Sosa because when you take out his, the spike in his numbers, his, uh, his totals are really kind of ordinary. And Very so, uh, but uh, I would, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to leave this subject with asking one final question. We mentioned David Ortiz, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And David Ortiz will be in the Hall of Fame. I think we all agree on that. Yeah. But would we feel as automatic? Would we feel as automatic about that if he had played his career with the team he started out with, the Minnesota Twins? No. No, because he wouldn't have had those October moments, Joe. That that's one reason. Uh, the Twins have had the Twins have had October moments. Yeah, he could have been batting and, behind and Joe Maurer in those situations. It, it's just as believable. Yeah. yeah. No. So I'm just saying. Jim, I want to make uh, one one quick point. Um, uh, I'll bring I'll bring the NFL analogy in. You know, mm -hmm. uh, when we talk uh, in, in that in that room the day before the Super Bowl, a lot of people uh -huh. have their own definitions of, of what a Hall of Famer looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, one guy who's been around a long time says, uh, "Well, can you write the history of football without mentioning, without writing about this person?" Well, mm -hmm. in that case, Doug Williams should be in the Hall of Fame. So you got to be careful with with, with that. In right. terms of the historical perspective, but one thing I like to use, guys, and I don't think you can go wrong with this, is sustained excellence. Sustained excellence. I always look like a Curtis Martin, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Jets running back. I mean, 11, 12 yeah. seasons straight, you know, never missed a game at that 1,200 yards. Sustained excellence. Now, Joe, in baseball terms, I look at Trevor Hoffman. Joe, he's not Mariano Rivera. I mean, who is? But, right. Joe, you could always count on the guy. Um, year after year, uh, no blips on the screen. Uh, sustained excellence. Uh, to me, Joe, that's got to be recognized. Well, it, it absolutely does, which is why I voted for, for Trevor Hoffman. And um, real quick point, uh, as you say, well, why – do baseball why are baseball players who use considered pariahs when the NFL you get a four game suspension and and welcome back it's because baseball numbers are sacrosanct they really are and the this the 60 uh 61 homers uh all those all those numbers the career um RBIs, the number of the Ted Williams uh, batting over 400, the 56-game hitting streak, all of the baseball lives on its numbers, and the PED scandal skewed those numbers, and it skewed the essence of the game. And I get it for uh, writers who say, you know what, that's, that's a Garden of Eden sin, and I can't forgive you for that. But the barn door is open and the horse is out, and what are we going to do? You know, we can't turn back the clock. 
And so I think each voter has to deal with it the best that they can. And my ballot will, is going to be public. If anybody wants to see it, they can they can find it in a lot of different places. And I'll be happy to explain myself. Well, there you go. Guys, getting ready for final call here. One quick thing on the baseball. Agree with everything everybody said, but one of the most entertaining players that's on this ballot, and I hope someday he gets in, is Vladimir Guerrero. Vlad was <laughs> Vlad started swinging a bat when he got off the bench, off the bus, and <laughs> never stopped. And he reminded me of, in many ways, of a guy I watched as a kid growing up, Roberto Clemente, who was one of the best bad ball hitters I ever saw in my life. But that the ball could be over Vlad's head, or it could be at his knees or below, and he'd still be swinging. And somehow, some way, he'd find a way to hit it. So, anyway, I hope that Vlad finds his way to Cooperstown someday, because he was both entertaining on and off the field, as well as fun to watch as a hitter. So, anyway, we'll see if that happens. Good luck, Vlad. Anyway, uh, all right, boys. Final call. Let's start, Mr. Williams. You start. Tell me what's going to happen. What, what, what to watch this week and social media, please. Well, I I think that what to watch this week is pretty straightforward. There's the NFC and AFC championship games. I don't know how good either of them will be. The Falcons and Packers could put on a heck of a game, but if the games aren't particularly great, well. Go watch them with a bunch of people. So if the game's not so great, you can have nice conversations with your friends and and whatnot. But you can follow me on at or on Twitter at Tim Wright's Sports. Thank you much. Okay, thanks, Joseph. You're up. Well, we've been talking about the Hall of Fame, so we're all going to be eager to see how that turns out. And mm-hmm. Jim, you will be happy to know I did vote for Vlad Guerrero. Oh, this thank year. you. That's and, very good. Uh, so if if he gets in, you can thank me. I will. Um, you can um, find me uh, on Twitter at J Henderson Tampa, T-A-M-P-A. All right. And Mr. Kaufman. James, you can find me on Twitter at iKaufman76. Mm-hmm. And like Joe, I'm going to pick up on what you just said at the end. You mentioned Vlad Guerrero, and you also mentioned the great Roberto Clemente. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to draw another parallel, Jim, which I think okay. is very fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another, uh, you know, little bubble uh, in Guerrero's uh, Hall of Fame corner is uh, he he had a phenomenal arm. Oh, um, yeah. M- maybe the best we've seen uh, at a right field since Clemente. There's mm-hmm. been others. Dave Parker comes to mind. There's sure. been some great ones. Uh, but, guys, that that's a lost art. Uh, in, in baseball. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't know why guys can't throw 300 feet anymore. I don't know what happened. Uh, but you get a medium fly ball now, and then and the guy coasts in from third base. Uh, the Vladimir Guerrero's, Jim, remind us that uh, that hasn't always been the case. Indeed. Very true. Well, I will be watching the Steelers kick 10 field goals in the hopes of beating the Patriots. And uh, <laughs> and if that game gets boring, I can always watch the French, the um, Australian Open on on uh, ESPN. But plenty of tennis, too. So anyway, boys, uh, outstanding conversation on the NFL. We broke it all down for you. And some very entertaining stuff on how behind the scenes on both the NFL and the 
Major League Baseball Hall of Fame from Ira and Joe, the Sunshine Boys. So, hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next week. I'm Jim Williams, your host on this, the Sunshine Boys podcast with Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and joining us from Boston, Tim Williams. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We'll see you next week.